You're listening to the Taming Hindrances Podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health, as well as a dive into this thing known as spirituality. We talk about everything and anything on the podcast, so come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances Podcast. As always, my name's Phil. I'm the host and the creator of the podcast. I have another topic for you. This one's all about war. That's what this episode's about. That's apparently what all life is about at this point. Uh, if, if, you, uh, if you listen to my last episode, um, the episode about being wrong, how to be wrong, how we can be wrong better, uh, that it's okay to be wrong, um, I, got into, I got into some things. I got into just the idea of what, you know, most people don't want to try out which is to be wrong and then to admit being wrong, make course correction, and to also work in, and I've been talking about this a lot recently, uh, to work in like this majority margin or, or not majority margin, the non-majority margin of like the 20% right down the middle, right? 40% of bullshit on one side, 40% of bullshit on the other side, 20% right down the middle. And that's, that's a good place to be. You're going to be wrong a lot less you're also going to be less wrong in general and you can make small corrections it's like driving an rv small corrections like driving an airplane or flying an airplane small corrections um even cars like you're not just gonna like rip the wheel and you know people people lack balance Uh, it's you know as long as i've done this podcast now i've tried to keep my ranting down to a minimum i failed at that miserably Um, but the level of my rants has also not been what I'm pretty much known for. I typically am known for getting on a soapbox and just like going at it. Just like, here's some stuff I know about this and not necessarily this is how things are, but like, this is the way in which I see it. Do you see it differently? That's okay. Here's just some things to make you think. I just like to make people think. And so I thought, even though I have promised to do an episode on ether, which was supposed to come after the void episode, I got some things I need to rant about. I got some things I want to talk about. I'm also trying to take the podcast in a little bit of a different direction. Um, I've explored the depths of, I think as much as I can go at or go to at this point uh, without extending my understanding of depression and mental health and spirituality uh, further. I think I've, I've hit the plateau of what I understand about spirituality and I'm debating on either bringing other people in to have conversations. I think that's a good uh, a good way to take this podcast is to start talking to other people. I find that people tend to like podcasts with conversations in them instead of, you know, not everybody just likes people ranting. And I've definitely just gone off on rants for oh, 62 episodes or so. In that regard, uh, I also did something different with this episode. I consulted the tarot deck. I went back to doing, I had done that for, a bunch of episodes, but I'm not going to get into the cards that I pulled and everything like that. I just got to this subject of war. And yes, war is something we typically talk about when we're talking about a kinetic conflict, right? That's, that's a lot of what we consider war to be. But in my understanding of war, which came about from, uh, just as a child, to be honest, my dad was in the military and I like to say nowadays that I understand things a little bit more from my past, uh, my father and I don't speak. We haven't spoken in years. I have no reason to even contact him. Um, it's a it's a non sequitur point at this you know stage. Um, but I do remember having harsh thoughts about my father uh, growing up, and then also learning things. You know, finding out what happened in the family. That all aside, 
leaving that aside and we'll get this will make sense as I go into this war episode of why I, I'm taking this viewpoint. I came back to look at my father from the perspective of like, who was this as a person? And I found that he was probably, you know, undiagnosed autistic in some realm of things. Um, and that presented itself in this weird representation of a military commander who was very good at being in the military. Uh, I believe he, I believe he retired. If you know if that, I, I imagine he's retired by now. But uh, I do remember the last, and this was uh, fifteen years ago, maybe, um, if not long, maybe eighteen years. Uh, that my dad became a command sergeant major. And in becoming a command sergeant major, I believe that was the highest level a uh, non-NCO officer could uh, acquire, essentially, um, in his branch of the military. And so he was, uh, when I was a kid, a first sergeant. That's what I remember him as being first sergeant, and um, then he became a command sergeant major. So he was good at the military. Like, it's not easy to get to that rank. You, you know, he was in it for, essentially, it was a lifer. Um, but he was good at commanding troops and he was good at doing his job in the military. He was not so great at being a father other than if I look at it from the perspective of that, he actually did some great things as being a father, but he did it militaristically. And so I never realized that, you know, I, I sometimes I joke and call myself an army brat, but I'm not really like, I didn't have the base life. I, it came close. There was a, a period of time that it would have been very possible for me to have lived the base life, but I did have a, you know, military ID as a kid and I, I went on base and I did some things like that. Um, I certainly had access to a commissary that wasn't too far away if I needed to get on base to go to a commissary, but in how he taught me things, he was very militaristic. And I just didn't realize that that's what was happening. We played chess a lot. Um, and it was very much like teaching me move, counter move, counter to a counter move and thinking ahead and planning steps. He also taught me how to take a firearm apart, put a firearm back together, how to fire the firearm, how to be, you know, firearm friendly and safe and all those things, how to understand what a weapon was. Um, he taught me like the basic like life skill stuff that I don't think a lot of young adults, specifically males, get nowadays. I learned how to chop wood. I learned how to make a fire. I learned how to shoot a bow. I learned how to shoot a gun. I learned how to use a chainsaw, an axe. Uh, I learned how to farm. He was a farmer, so I, you know he taught me how to grow crops, how to take care of cattle, how to take care of animals. Uh, he taught me how to uh, do some like you know general outdoor things like fishing and hunting, but also camping and, um, going on hikes and how to spot deer in the middle of the fucking night. And just, just, just shit that as a child that like, I had no interest in really at all, but he taught me militaristically. And so looking back, I look at war much differently than most people. My father was in a constant war with everyone around him all the time he was taught to be in a warfare situation. Uh, anytime that he quote unquote would tell us, um, going off to play war was both reality and not reality. Some cases he was actually going out to do, you know, military stuff, or sometimes he was going to war games. He went to war games quite often. I didn't understand what that meant. I didn't realize that like 
he was a military commander, which means a war game to him was like a serious thing. Like going off to a war game wasn't mean like he was just going to go traipsing around with a cool paintball gun. That's what I thought of it as. I have no fucking clue what was going on. No, he was actually going out, going through troop engagement movements, you know, so he was very militaristic in the way he taught me. Not harsh. He wasn't a very harsh person to me, but uh, he was succinct. He was, you know, there was some seriousness to it. Uh, he was also very much, very much a quote unquote do gooder, you know, like uh, he would completely forget that he had his child in the car and then like go and try to follow a poacher home. So like if he was very much into hunting and woodsman stuff and, and farming and all these things. So in my very early teenage years, I'm, I'm terrible with dates and ages, but we'd be at like a gas station. He would see a tagged, a non-tagged deer in the back of somebody's truck and would like take me to follow them home and like get their plate tags and like their address or essentially to make sure they weren't a poacher and then like go to like the game. Like he was just like a, he was a constable at some point. I think just a lot of stuff that I was too young to really understand what was going on. Um, but it was all this militaristic understanding. Like he wanted to do what he felt was the right thing. The actions which he took to do that maybe weren't completely thought out in a civilian setting, but militaristically, very much like, where do I put my... Like, I was never in danger in any way. Like, he was a military commander. He knew where to put, you know, somebody so they wouldn't be in danger and all these things. But anyway, uh, with this understanding now, I can look back and I can figure out one specific thing. In most of my life, and I think in most everyone's life, you're in a state of war. War is the state in which humanity lives inside of. And that war goes beyond just this kinetic thing. And that's why I brought up that story of, or all those stories about how my inner, my inner relationship with my father was very stressed at all points in time because he was in a constant state of war and also doing real, like not real, but um, he was also training for kinetic warfare. So going to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, which is something I usually start with, but we're getting into it a little late in this episode, the definition of war and I waited to give off this definition. There's three other definitions we're going to go over, and I'm going to bring them in uh, piece by piece here. Uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary, uh, state of usually open and declared armed hostile conflict between nation, states or nations. That's what we're typically used to saying war is. It's an open, declared, armed, hostile event. Uh, so either kinetic or soon-to-be kinetic or, you know, in some state where there's a kinetic threat. Kinetic meaning that... Uh, weaponry of a kinetic nature being rifles, artillery, bombs. Those are kinetic warfare states. There's also the art or science of warfare. Okay, that's war. Um, there's the next one, which I think is the most important one. A state of hostility, conflict, or antagonism. Okay, I'll, I'll read that one again. A state of hostility, conflict, or antagonism. Now, I think it's important to go over those individually so we can see how this lines up with us constantly being in a warfare state. I've been at war with my family my entire life. I've also been at war with myself my entire life. And so in that regard, I'm giving up the goose real quick here. I think if you look at this really hard, you'll find how much you're at war. And it's very simple to be in a warfare state because our minds are almost trained for it. The human, the human state is inventive, imaginative, 
which comes from imagination. The invention, inventive side comes from imagination, but also in this, this war state, which also comes from the imagination. We're simulating constantly. And it's only gotten worse and worse and worse as we've gotten, quote unquote, more intelligent or more advanced. Uh, so let's go to the definition of hostility. Deep-seated, usually mutual ill will. Hostile action. Hostilities, the plural, the act of being at war. Conflict, opposition, or resistant in thought or principle. This is one of the most important factors of the definition of war, is that it also includes, so the original definition of war we're starting with, a state of hostility, a state of conflict, or a state of antagonism. To be in a state of hostility, you are at conflict or opposition or resistance in thought or principle. It simply means to have disagreeing views. You're in a state of war, right? So my father and I disagreed on all sorts of shit. Constantly. We were, my entire family was just in this weird thing where like, I didn't get along with any of them because I was in one mental state and they were in a different mental state and we just never agreed. So we're constantly in hostility towards each other. And life kept just throwing, the universe just kept throwing these, just kept throwing these like weird events in that made it just so driven into me that like I just I just didn't get along with these people. I just didn't see eye to eye with them. We didn't have common viewpoints. I every time I was around them, something like some bad thing would happen. Like it was it was constant. It was never ending. Just the more I look back at it, and I know, you know, yes, when you look back on thought processes and memories, you tend to focus on negative, harsh events because they have more of a chemical adrenal cortex and cortisol response that makes us remember them more uh, so that we don't get in those states. There's a reason for that. But, you know, everything from like flat tires to arguments to just like random, just nonsensical bullshit. That would just drama for no reason that would just come up over the simplest things. Right. And I find that it was because the family unit was at a constant state of hostility. There was hostility over the divorce. There was hostility over my siblings and their, you know, differentiating opinions. My father's parents, or at least uh, his mother, was very religious. Uh, my grandfather was actually very cantankerous. Uh, he was a great person. I got along with him quite well. Um, who, oddly enough, my grandfather had served in World War II um, and was on one of the first medical frigates to show up at um, the site of the medical aid um, for the aftermath of Hiroshima. Um, so he, and he had seen other things too, but one of the things he talked to me specifically about was being on the, one of the first medical frigates to show up to the aftermath of Hiroshima. Um, I cannot to this day even fathom what that looked like felt like like it, that is just at a different level um of understanding you know to you have to put yourself in a position where the bombs never existed right so the knowledge of what an atomic bomb was was just a concept it was yeah okay maybe maybe you were in the military and maybe you knew that we were inventing these things right that you know we were doing these explosive uh, tests and they were just massive explosions but to see what they were capable of in the aftermath of that situation 
right? That they were actually used, that there was a massive death toll, wiped entire cities off the map, right? To to go from never knowing know what these things were actually capable of to now knowing what they were capable of in the matter of days. And to be on a medical frigate and show up. Like, I just can't, and I never could put myself in that position. Um, but he was a very quiet man in that regard. And so I had this weird duality of two individuals that I saw that were in war. My dad was in, um, oh, I always get it wrong. Uh, Kuwait. So one, he was in a war. Like he actually deployed. Um, so in that, like, so I had two different, very, you know, I had this military commander and I had this other person who like, wouldn't talk about it. Couldn't watch Saving Private Ryan. Like, it just had been very much scarred, but very also like it scarred him, but didn't take him away from being a very family oriented individual. My grandfather was very family oriented in that regard, cantankerous, but family oriented. So I had these massive different viewpoints, right? And so I had to see the hostility even there, right? So even there, there was even a little bit of hostility in that regard. Um, my grandmother being super religious, there was hostility there. Just, and then on my mother's side, there was a lot of divorce. There was uh, multiple divorces on my mother's side. So the family unit was just a very hostile environment. Again, conflict, opposition, or resistance in thought or principle. And I don't think my story is different than many. Like, I, I think I'm kind of in the majority at this point that there's just a lot of hostility in family units. And that can, be, you know, we can get down the conspiracy theory track of like the Federal Reserve taking away uh, single um, family incomes, being able to support a family. And so that both parents have to go to work and then you don't have any parent in the home. And so that the kids have no representation of family or values or morals or ethics being taught at the home level. Instead, they're picking them up at an educational schooling level. And the worst thing that can happen to a child is for them to be schooled and not educated. Um, just political representation like in just that regard if you have a family where you have two viewpoints democrat and republican you're now in hostility you're the family unit itself is in hostility even inside the units themselves the democrats that you can have rhinos and uh you know you can have or sorry left wing right wing or progressive there's just so many different classifications that we've come up with including now all the new wokeism bullshit with like you know gender roles and sexual preferences that we call, you know, gender preferences and just this amalgamation of ridiculousness of the modification of vernaculars, which used to have scientific backing using a fucking dictionary to, to define things. And now we have just this coercion and corruption of all of these things, which just builds hostility. And again, I'm just simply like hostility. People take as like this giant negative, like, Oh, we're hostile towards each other. We're going to get into a fist fight or kinetic. No hostility is simply conflict, opposition or resistance in thought or principle. Just having different viewpoints puts you in a hostility situation. What that escalates to, which is one of the most important words when we talk about warfare, is this thing you know as escalation. And I'll get into that a little bit later when I, I ramble on about kinetic war a little bit. But uh, also there's deep-seated, usually mutual ill will. You can just hold ill will towards someone. Like somebody cut you off in traffic. That's hostility. You just have maybe have some ill will towards them. Um, your brother or your sister flung peas at you at the table. Maybe you have some ill will. like Or just that general level of things. Mom and dad grandma, aunt, whatever, didn't let you go out and hang out with your friends. Ill will is constant. 
it's uh, we just build hostility and for some reason the human system is this amazing ability to hold on to it and use it for motivative practices um moving on from that because i think that covers hostility pretty easily let's move into the next one here conflict the definition from conflict again going back to the definition of war a state of hostility conflict or antagonism all right. Well, we talked about hostility and how easy it is to be hostile towards one another and to build a hostility, a hostile environment. Talked about the one that I grew up in. Um, and, you know, it, I make it, we use that word hostility and it sounds like, oh, geez, like it wasn't, I mean, yeah, I watched my siblings get the shit beat out of them on a regular occasion when I was very young. Uh, no one, I don't think that I can remember, like beat me in general. It was more verbal and um, just psychological abuse overall. Um I mean, I suffered through some sexual abuse as well that I've talked about on this podcast multiple times. So, yeah, plenty of hostility. I will generally say that there's, I don't play the game of like who had it worse. That's not a game you should play. Playing the game of like whose life was worse is everyone loses. Everyone loses that game. You can't measure it upon that. So, I don't play the measurement game. Just these are what I went through. Okay. Hasn't affected me all that bad. I've actually come out pretty okay. Um, I imagine there's some psychologists out there or uh, some professionals that would be like, well, I don't know about that, Phil. Anyway, conflict, definition, fight, battle, or war. Okay, that's the kinetic version. Um, but not necessarily a fight or a battle. You know, we could get into the definitions of those, but let's move on here. Competitive or opposing action of incompatibles. That's a, a incompatibility would be maybe i'm not going to argue with the dictionary um which is also antagonistic state or action uh so this could be divergent ideas different opinions or uh, you know just a differentiation in persons having you know the bias of being like wow well they're cuter than that person so i'm gonna i'm gonna go with that person that is a competitive or opposing action of incompatibilities uh, or incompatibles, you know, so you've now made these two people incompatible in your mind by simply differentiating the fact that you think one is more attractive than the other. That's, you just did that. Like it's a simple thing for us to do that would put those in, in your mind, technically those people would be in conflict, uh, mental struggle resulting from incompatible or opposing needs, drives, wishes, or external or internal demands. It's a good one. We might come back to that one. The opposition of persons or forces that gives rise to the dramatic action in a drama or a fiction. All right. So now we're talking about the narratives, right? And we've, I've talked about that when I talked about history, you know, tales and stories. Well, in the family unit, in your personal unit, inside of yourself, this is where I'm going to step into the conflict of mind, uh, specifically to the conflict of mind to body to spirit and all these differentiations we can make. Hostility can be built very easily inside of our personal relationships, which puts us in a state of war. Conflict, it's very easy to be conflicted or to have conflict inside of oneself. The opposition of persons, so let's just change that to the opposition of our opinions in our own mind or forces, outside influences, that gives rise to a dramatic action in a drama or a fiction. I think you could also put in nonfiction or the drama of our lives. So you have all of these oppositions. Do I want ice cream? Do I want cake? Do I, should I work out? If I work out, can I have a Snickers bar? If, if, um, if I eat this, am I going to regret it? If I go out, uh, with my friends, is it going to be a good time? Maybe I should stay home. Uh, I don't want to stay home. It's boring. I want to go out. 
this is just decision making, right? It's oppositions and we're trying to find balance for it. But oftentimes by trying to find balance, we become very unbalanced in the methodologies in which we try to do that with. So conflict can happen very easily in the mind. And again, when I use that first uh, example, competitive or opposing action of incompatibles, just by giving definition to some things, we make them incompatible and thus we've created conflict between two things we actually have no control over, right? We only have control over our way of seeing it. And this is why war is a very specific understanding inside of the human mind when it comes to imagination and how our imaginations can rule over war as a state, hostility, conflict. And we're about to get into antagonism here a little bit. So in that idea of conflict, um, let's use uh, 2B here, the definition there, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little deeper. Mental struggle resulting from incompatible or opposing needs. Okay, cool, needs. Let's pull that word out for a second. I've said many times, you get what you need, not what you want. Wants are fleeting and wants are great. It's great to want something, you know, like to have driver motivation to get what you want. That's, that's awesome. You can use wants in that regard. You will absolutely do everything possible to get what you need. And we oftentimes get that mixed up because it's a conflict. It's a conflict between our wants and needs. We will find water, find food, find shelter. Those are needs. They're needs for survival. Base instinct survival. We may want to eat better food, but we will take the calories that we need. We need calories to survive. We will take them when we can get them. And so we have these conflicts that arise between the things we need and the things we want. Well, this is war inside the mind itself. This is war with others, unfortunately, very, I want to say easily, but that's not the right statement to make there. It creates war between others very easily. We'll just put it that way. Because we often try to measure ourselves based on other people. And the advent of social media has brought about this at a level that we still, to this day, I would argue, do not understand. We do not understand the social and psychological um, ramifications for inventing a place where people could not only show off themselves, but lie about themselves very easily. Um, and so even if we cut it right down the middle and say we are balanced 50, 50, we would have 50% of the people who are representing themselves as themselves to just be themselves online. And then 50% of the people doing the exact opposite of that, which is just lying and trying to coerce people into being like, Hey, check out me and my Bentley. And the reality is the majority there then 50, 50, right? would be right down the middle split. So there wouldn't technically be a majority, but even inside that idea that we would have every time one person with a Bentley they earned and one person with a Bentley they just paid to take a picture with or saw parked in a parking lot and took a quick picture and you know used that as a representation of who they actually were. My problem with it is a little bit different. I thought the original understanding of social media and the internet was fucking hilarious and an amazing thing because it was just jokes and memes before memes were actually memes and no one took it seriously. That was the perfect point of the internet. And I actually, uh, fortunately happened to 
be growing up during that time period when we think we had like AOL Instant Messenger and AIM and people spent fucking hours trying to come up with their away message. Things no like kids nowadays would have no idea how to understand that there was this thing known as an away message because you didn't there was no like texting constantly and you couldn't have the app of AIM on your phone. Um there was things like Zanga and the origination of MySpace when MySpace was just a bunch of people trying to make their page look cool so someone would pay attention to them. But it was just fucking lies and hysterics. I actually had a Zanga page uh, that was literally like a writing prompt for me. I was literally writing about a troubled youth individual who had an alcohol problem. And there were some overshadowings between my own personal life, but... I was using it as like this portrayal of a person who I absolutely knew was not real. And so I wrote these prompts of like, you know, these posts and the long winded explanations of like these things that I did taking them from stories. I used it as like a, an outlet for my writing. Uh, Cause I wanted to be a writer at one point. I probably still kind of do want to be a writer. I just haven't progressed in it in many ways. Um, so that's what my Zanga page was. Absolute lies. Uh, just total bullshit nonsense. And everyone, like, there was no way anyone could take it seriously. And no one did. Everyone was just like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? This is ridiculous. And it was funny. Uh, that's what I think we failed at. We failed to keep the internet funny. Because it should be funny. Because the idea is hilarious. The idea that someone wants to know exactly what you're doing every day, all day, and has any regard for your opinion whatsoever is hilarious. That's a funny thing to me. It's funny to think people don't understand that they're in a state of war and thus these conflicts that are arising, these oppositions of persons or forces, these mental struggles resulting from incompatible or opposing needs, drives, wishes, or external or internal demands, these competitive or opposing actions of incompatibles, specifically states, or we can add a differentiation there, media, other people, other people's opinions. Like the invention of the internet was the biggest moment of conflict ever. It was the, the, so, all right, let me step back. Mini rant, two to three minutes. I'll try to keep it short. A lot of people don't know where the internet came from. The internet came from what was known as the DARPA net, uh, defense, uh, it was a defense network for the United States of America was known as the DARPA net. And the DARPA net was what's known as a bus backbone. It was a, a singular point of travel of information that had all these little stops on the, along the way. And so it was a very closed network. Uh, so we had the DARPA net and the DARPA net created this, what's known as the original internet backbone. So we had the DARPA net, which was a networked set of computers uh, and mainframes and all this other stuff. I won't get into the complexity of it there, but think about it as like a single rail, right? So we had a monorail for those of you who don't know what a monorail is. A monorail is a train that just is on one rail. That was the internet backbone. There was one, it went in two directions, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That was it. There was no subdivisions. None of that existed yet. It was just the DARPA net. So if one defense uh, team, uh, you know, in, on the East Coast wanted to talk to a West Coast team, they could do that. Uh, if, you know, blah, 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 blah. Keep this one short. Then we added a second rail. So we went from the DARPA net to what was known as the private university network. Um, there's many different classifications of what that looked like or was talked about, but essentially you had 
the only true version of what the internet quote unquote would have been was this single monorail system for the DARPA, the defense network. Then on the backbone of that, so that being the connection between coast to coast and state to state, blah, 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 we added in universities because some universities started doing defense network you, you know, research. So they needed to be a part of that network. And then inside of each one of these universities, we had what was known as a LAN, a local area network. So the first WAN, wide area network, was the DARPA net backbone. Then they added in all of these multiple LANs, local area networks, that could connect to that WAN. So you can think about this as a monorail, very simply, that goes, let's just say it goes across the country. Single line, across the country. And the lands would be all of these like stops along the way. Um, Rutgers, Yale, Stanford, also like the Pentagon. And, you know, and so it became sectionalized that we had to have permissions. And that gets into a whole nother thing. But the DARPANET provided that single monorail. Then they cloned it. And so the DARPANET then was moved off to its own section that no one could get into because it was all secured and cryptographed it and whatever. And so what the universities realized would was that, oh, it'd be great if we could share information between the different universities. That would be a great thing. That's awesome. And that was the origination of what we now know as the internet. You know, all these local area networks, which then connected to this wide area network, which allowed different universities to talk to each other. This is the back in the days of BOD modems and 14.4 kilobyte and yeah, things that most people don't even remember anymore. 56K dial-up modems, which was like a huge, huge leap forward. Uh, so that was the origination of the internet. And from that came one of the greatest developments in all of human warfare. This ability to share information, not just at a verbal level, but at a fax level, at a then documented, you know, so like we had fax machines, we had telephones, which was, that was a huge invention of and of itself that you could call up a line, you know, directions or direction. But now we had this thing known as the internet. And we could share information very quickly. And we could share mass amounts of information. This created world-spread conflict. Conflict in the sense that in the United States, we had created this sub-network to what would now then became the World Wide Web. Before that, the DARPAnet and then the University Backbone, that wasn't the World Wide Web. That was the local United States and then other universities locally, Canada, Mexico. And then eventually we got it to cross the pond and then universities started correlating. And then it kind of became the original World Wide Web. And eventually there was more and more and more. It's a fascinating subject to go research. But in that invention, we created the ability for a dystopian society very easily. But we also created the adverse to that. Remember, I talk about balance very regularly. So the conflict occurred that we could use this for good or we could use it for evil, quote unquote. We could use it for politics or we could use it for universities. We could use it for military action or we could use it for social action. All of that diversity bloomed overnight, essentially. You know, it took quite a few years, but essentially bloomed overnight. 
And that allowed for mass amounts of conflict, conflict between nation states, conflict between political parties, conflicts between grandma and you. Grandma couldn't use email. You could use email. What the hell, grandma? Conflict. That's what the internet really should be known for, in my personal opinion, was the advent of conflict every day, all day, without relief. Conflicts. Again, conflicts being competitor or opposing action of incompatibles. Um, we could take one step back and say that that really was uh, radio and television, but given the complexity of the internet and the ability to share information at that level, you know, we could get radio waves and we could get television into the home, sure, but getting people to interact with it wasn't yet widespread, right? So even as a kid growing up in the the fruition of what the internet was becoming and the World Wide Web is becoming, I didn't have cable. You know, I was still bunny ears, rabbit ears, you know, on the television, the little antenna. I didn't even have satellite. And I, I didn't even have one of those big antennas that could like, you know, was on top of the roof. I didn't even have one of those. I just had the little rabbit ears on the back of the TV. Uh, so I had like 13 channels, right? And it could be argued at this point during that time age that media still had some credibility and there was still, you know, a balanced structure there. But anyway, he's not getting into that whole understanding. Yes, you had radio and television, which allowed for propaganda and other things. And you could get that into the home, but didn't necessarily mean people came to it. Didn't, you know, the internet became something that literally was implanted into us at the level of, Everyone's involved with it. Everyone, it affects everyone's lives. Some people's lives depend on it. And also it's something you instantly learn as a child that this is, this is the internet. This is the thing. I still was told to go outside and play. You know, I still had to use my imagination to come up with ways to keep boredom at bay. When the internet involved itself in my life, I was now instantly a conflict with everything. Again, I thought it was funny. And a lot of the people I interacted with also thought it was funny. We didn't take it seriously. The original set of users of the internet, you could use it seriously, but the invention of the social media side of it, we were all just like, this is hilarious. Are you fucking kidding us? Like, get, get out of here. This is stupid. This is the worst waste of this technology there possibly could be because it was scarce. It was a resource that was not readily available to everyone. And that's the major differentiation, which is my long-winded explanation now, getting back into needs and wants, right? You don't get what you want, you get what you need. And so you get to have the conflict inside of your own mind of what that balancer looks like. Now, the full definition of conflict, mental struggle resulting from incompatible or opposing needs, drives, wishes, or external or internal demands, pretty much brings that out into like the full limelight, right? So we're in conflict with ourselves. We're in conflict with uh, other people, social media, the media, legacy media, new media, Twitter fights, drama, who the best musician is. It's conflict, 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 conflict. Well, 
War also has another piece in the definition here, a state of hostility, conflict, or antagonism, right? So we started with, host- we, we mentioned hostility, started with hostility as far as a deeper dive. Conflict, opposition, or resistance in thought or principle. Very easy to be in, in, have hostility. Uh, very easy for every party everywhere to have hostility in any way. Conflict, a little bit more localized as far as in ourselves, conflict in nature of, of how we interact with things. Um, and so now we get into antagonism again, definition of war, a state of hostility, conflict, or antagonism. Well, what's it mean to be antagonistic? What's it mean to have antagonism? Miriam Webster's dictionary defines it as opposition of a conflicting force, tendency, or principle actively expressed opposition or hostility. So now we have the expression of these things or lastly, Opposition in physiological action. This is what I talk about constantly in my practice as a body worker. What's the antagonist muscle? The muscle is doing the opposite action. It is, it is doing the opposite of the primary mover that we're talking about. Any muscle can be a primary mover as far as we look at action and reaction. Um, we do have the primary movers of the body, essentially the large muscle groups, quadriceps, hamstrings, uh, pectorals, uh, obliques, abdominals, like back muscles, the back straps. Um, you know, so we have primary movers, big muscle groups, but we also have pro- primary uh, action and antagonistic action. So every muscle has an antagonist, it has a muscle that does the opposite action of it. And so we can have all of these crazy range of motion abilities the body has. It's uh, phenomenal the articulation that these skeleton uh, meat suits that we have can do. It's mind-blowing, actually, if you really dive into it. And so we have opposition in physiological action. Great definition. It goes on to say, especially interaction of two or more substances such that the action of any one of them in living cells or tissue is lessened. And I think this is an important subset understanding because this is where I take it from a body working perspective. If in any point the interaction of two or more substances is in a state in which the actions of any one of them on living cells or tissue is lessened, they are an antagonist. Let's break that down into a biological, anatomy and physiological, uh, physiology, like just a base understanding of the human system in that regard. If at any point in time, something takes something else away from something in a 1v1 situation, they have lessened something from the other one and they are thus an antagonist. So the base level understanding of an antagonist coming up back up to the uh, first definition here, opposition or conflicting force tendency or principle is simply something that is looking to, or can take something else away from someone or something or in any conflict force tendency or principle to lessen, right? And to lessen is to to remove from or to take away from. Sometimes we use the lesson in the terms of unburden. How you negotiate it is whatever. So coming back to social media, coming back to the internet, coming back to radio, television, coming back to 
simply hostility and conflict inside of ourselves in the in the the family unit or with our friends or just the fucking bottle of soda that exploded because we shook it too much. They are antagonistic. Everything is capable of being antagonistic. Every single thing is capable of being antagonistic. This is the balance of yin-yang. And so balance really does become one of the most important states of war. I think I've shown here very succinctly that just by being hostile, in conflict, or being antagonistic puts us in a state of warfare. And thus everything all the time when it comes to humanity and the way humanity regards things, thinks about things, processes things, intakes information, gives information out, is in a state of war. You were at war from the day you were born to the day you were even thought about being conceived to the day your parent, everything throughout human history. I couldn't even tell you what the true history of it is anymore. It seems to be changing day by day. New information keeps coming out. New records are being found, archaeological sites, uh, geographical, geopolitical, just fucking it's craziness, which is good. It's fine. Whatever. Moving on. The reality of the situation for me and the way I grew up at a very base level, I give you the, I give you kind of the microcosmic cosmic view of my upbringing, you know, people who were in conflict, like actual, you know, kinetic conflict war raising a child who was in a state of war in a world that is constantly in a state of war from the microcosm to the macrocosm microcosmically in my relationship with my father and my grandfather and the dualities there and the, and the dichotomies of their different own experiences in war and how I was raised to quote unquote be a not really no they never said to be a man um, but teaching me what was actually survival traits right so it took 15 some years post of the last time I probably spoke to my, well, no, I honestly don't remember the last time I spoke to my father was, I think it was over the age of 18. Uh, whenever his father passed away, whenever my, grand, whenever my grandfather passed away, I think I spoke to him minutely at the funeral, but looking back and taking away the conflict, taking away the hostility that I built in my own mind and looking at the state of warfare, right? So let's break that down to what that looks like. Coming back, base level definitions. We've talked about what hostility looks like. Hostility is uh, conflict, opposition, or resistance in thought or principle. Conflict being the opposition of persons or forces that gives rise to the dramatic action in something or mental struggle resulting from incompatible or opposing needs, drives, wishes or external and internal demands. Just everything's fucking in conflict. Antagonism is the ability to be antagonistic, to work in the action of lessening or reaction to or balance to. So everything has the possibility to be antagonistic. Everything has the essential drive to be in conflict, which builds a matter of succinct or minute or whatever fucking word you want to use hostility uh, both microcosmically and macrocosmically, stepping that all the way back to the first definition, well, this, I'm sorry, the second definition of war here, a state of hostility, conflict, or antagonism. Everything, all the time, everywhere, every human is at war. Now, what, is that, what does that necessitate, right? Because we get, we get what we need, right? We don't get what we want. Now, we want to live in whatever world we want to live in. Some people want to live in a dystopian society because they think it'd be cool and don't really understand what that entails. Some people want to live in lavish lifestyles of fucking caviar and, and, and personal airplanes, and they don't understand the balance structure there. 
Other people just want to be left alone and wear their basketball shorts and lock the door and watch Netflix. There's, this is why I talk about depression being uniquely who you are. And I could fight that fight constantly, whatever talking about war. You're at war all the time. Every Microsoft, it doesn't matter what classification of time frame, position, value, doesn't matter how I measure it, you're at war. So, what is the balance to that, right? If this understanding of war exists, there has to be an anti-war, anti-thesis, some sort of balance. This is typically seen uh, in our own selves with a constant teeter-tottering and a wavering. And so it actually creates a frequency. When something crests and troughs, it creates a, a repeating pattern, a, a frequency, a, a measured Hertz. On the Hertzian wave situation, we can measure the frequency of the, the but essentially it's just the mid-ground between the crests and the troughs of the wave function. And a wave function is just something that crests and troughs, that has a, a, a balance of the wave function. So the macrocosmic idea that everything is constantly in war builds the anti-war war. But it doesn't necessitate action. And so it doesn't actually get acted upon. The necessitation of an antagonist to war is the actual counterbalance would be to be no action. And so this is the this is the the thing this is the state of mentality I've been stuck in to try to understand some sort of balance structure to go any farther in my understanding of spirituality and, and mental health and and um, uh, talking about depression even farther self awareness what's the balance to this state of war it's a tough one. Because we live in the necessity for war. It's actually one of the needs that I find is built into the human system. We need antagonistic responses. In, in fact, without antagonists, we can't tell the protagonistic story, right? And so if we're telling history, tales and stories of ourselves, we're the protagonist. Um, and so that would require antagonistic response. This is bicep, tricep. This is hamstrings, quadriceps. Um, all the way down to the, the physical form. Remember, I talk about the connections between body, mind, and spirit. The, down to the human system itself as a, at a body level, we require protagonists and antagonists to have action, to have function. So mentally, we would then share that response. We would need some sort of antagonist to our protagonist. And so I think it is built into the human system to want others to do poorly so you can do better. Or, for, or the opposite to that, some people play this game, which is what I was talking about, how you play the game of whose life's worse. Nobody wins. Some people like that response. They like other people's lives to be better so that their life is shittier. So that they can say their life is shittier to make it themselves seem better than someone else because they had it shittier. And so even in those responses, we have hostility and conflict and antagonism because antagonism is this necessity for us to be different, 
so that we can judge our responses. Well, what does that look like at a spiritual level? At a spiritual level, that is the necessity for us to be different, to have depression, so that we can measure our lives. It's a really weird thing to have come across in this discussion because it's the predatory process used everywhere all the time to be at war. It allows for coercion and corruption. It allows for propaganda. It allows for lies and deceit. It allows for subterfuge. It allows for action and reaction. It allows for all of the quote unquote positive versions of that truth and, and honesty and morals and ethics. The oddest thing about humanity to me nowadays is that we can't separate ourselves from ourselves in the judgmental structure. We've taken the ability away from the individual to measure themselves any differently than to measure themselves against the masses, to against the group. It's nearly impossible in today's society, including internet and social media and legacy media and new age media, all of this bullshit that we're constantly surrounded by, specifically the phones that we hold in our hands, this always connected situation, to ever have the ability to measure ourselves against ourselves. It's simply been stripped away from us. In some cases, that is our own fault. And actually, in every case, there is some fault that lies with the individual. But until you can have the reference point of, wait a minute, I'm at war with all of this shit. And that to be a wake-up call to the understanding that, oh, I am at war with all of this shit. Thus, I need to start making these calculated responses in of my own self, in my own macrocosm. That is a truer understanding of self-awareness. And a good starting point is to understand, oh, yeah, I'm at war with this shit. So why am I measuring myself against my neighbor? Why am I measuring myself with skin color or financial situation or Democrat, Republican? Why am I allowing for all of these disassociation sets to occur that I'm somehow different than the person next to me because there is this ability to be differential? This is how the game fails. This is actually how the war situation fails miserably because war is anti-war. We just don't ever get to that point because of the disassociation factors that we can continue to create, which is to get stuck in one of the microcosms or get stuck in the macrocosms. And so this is where my statement goes to, there's 40% of bullshit on both sides. If you can get to the 20% down the middle, it doesn't even have to be down the middle, just that 20% factor in between, you're at a better area so that those crefts aren't too high, the troughs aren't too low. And so the frequency mellows out we actually get a higher frequency from that, which if you want to talk about people who are talking about activating at a higher frequency, um, the measurement of crest to trough and then the shortening of the wave pattern, how quickly those things happen, makes for a higher frequency number because you can get more crests and troughs in a measurable unit. And if the unit's one second or, you know, in the hertzian frequency, it's a second. But if we just picked a unit of how many times something goes up or down, whatever the measurable unit is, that's however many times that can occur is the frequency. So when people are talking about raising their vibration, raising their frequency, they're actually talking more along the lines of balance. 
now, yeah, we can get into the conversation about all of their different understandings of those things. Um, but when we just look at the principal idea of a frequency, let's use the hertzian frequency because it's a, what a lot of things are measured in. It's a one second unit. How many times does something tra- uh, crest top of the wave and then trough bottom of the wave in a second? The bigger the crest, the longer different. Uh, distance it is to the trough and the bigger the trough the longer distance it is to the crest and so if the crests are really high and the troughs are really low it takes a lot longer to get to those things and thus you can have less in the period of that one second this is what's known as a lower frequency so a 10 hertz frequency is 10 cross uh, 10 crests and troughs in a one second period Vice versa, 100 hertz is 100 crests and troughs in a, in a one-second period. And so when someone talks about raising your vibration or, or raising your frequency, the easiest way to do that is to balance yourself so that the crests aren't very high and the troughs aren't very low so you can fit more of them in that one-second period. This is why war is the opposition of itself. It's anti-war. If we focus on what the ideas of hostility, conflict, and antagonism are and understand that everything can be antagonistic of everything else, we realize it's all bullshit. It's all a game. It's all nonsense. Because it's just like the internet when it first was created. Everyone's lying all the time. And it was funny. It used to be funny. When we all started taking it too seriously is when it stopped being funny. So stop taking social media so seriously. Stop taking the judgmental factors of Democrat versus Republican, black versus white, Asian, Caucasian, which most white people aren't actually Caucasian. That's a funny one to look at. We didn't come from the Caucasus mountain ranges. We're not Caucasian. Very few of those in the world. Um, Stop looking at, you know, political structures or media, Fox versus NBC. All of these differentiations, all of these disassociations are truly what make us all very unique and bring us together in that factor. And so if we just keep taking these things seriously, it's going to get serious. It's going to turn into massive hostility, massive conflict, massive antagonism. The counterbalance to that is someone takes a really stupid action. That's, um, let me find it here. I think it's back in hostility. Um... Hostile action. Yes. Someone takes a hostile action. Now, this is what I was talking about at the very beginning of this when I was talking about what we talk about escalation, right? So one of the most important words I can ever teach you about war is known as escalation. And in fact, I'm actually going to pull up the definition for it because it's important. It's that important that I'm going to add even another um, definition here. So escalation, Merriam-Western Dictionary. Uh, I'm sorry. So, oh, it's, it's the intrinsic verb of escalate, which I should have just looked up escalate, but to increase in extent, volume, number, amount, intensity, or scope. To just increase something. That is what it means to escalate. Just increasing it, creating escalation. To increase in extent, volume, number, amount, intensity, or scope. Okay, cool. We got that, right? To increase something. Well, what happens when we increase something? We lower its vibration because we can only fit so many of the decreases into that time frame, that that whatever measurement unit we're using. And so 
the action of war in escalation is low vibration, low frequency, low intelligence. The action of war in memes and jokes and just stupor and funniness is very low escalation and thus it's higher frequency. And so I challenge humanity at this point and I challenge you specifically in your, in your seeking of self-awareness and mental health and spirituality, stop taking shit so seriously. Because the more serious you take it, the more it escalates. And the higher the escalation, typically the worse the outcome. And that's why escalation is one of the most important words when it comes to war. Because the escalation of hostility, the escalation of conflict, the escalation of an antagonist or antagonists to, plur- to make it more plural only leads to the adverse, the balance of that. Because war is its anti-war. And so we have things like my father's understanding of war and my grandfather's understanding of war. My father's understanding of war allowed for him, and I say this ultimately coming from the viewpoint that we never got along, we never will get along, we don't speak. And it took very long time to understand that my shitty upbringing and disassociation with all of that was my piece of the war and not what actually occurred in the war itself. So that being said, my father's understanding of war led to him as again, I believe undiagnosed autistic being an amazing military commander who was able to train and command troops, teaching me how to play chess teaching me how to think moves ahead, teaching me how to survive. I can build a structure, survive in the woods. I, can, I don't want to do these things, but I can if I need to. I have the skills. I can use a chainsaw. I can build shit. I can chop wood. I can make a fire. I can cook. I can hunt. I can fish. I can gather. I can farm. I can sharpen a knife. Basic life skills. Life. Not like today's life skills, but life skills. I can, I can do things with engines, just counter levers. I understand basic principles of kinetic movement, you know, take a firearm apart, put a firearm, know how, what a firearm is, how to make one. I could just make a cannon if I had to. Um, so that was his understanding of war, which I would say is at a pretty high frequency. My grandfather also had a much higher level of understanding there. And so he activated at a higher frequency when it came to his understanding of war because he had the counterbalance of understanding the lowest frequency, the highest escalation of war that has ever existed, the the dropping of an atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, in which he was one of the first medical frigates to show up there and to see the aftermath of what that looked like. People being loaded on board with boils, with their skin melting away from their bodies. Mutilated bodies showing up on board and dying on the deck. That was his understanding of the greatest escalation of war that we've ever seen so far. So when people talk about warfare, I ask, talk about escalation. Those trying to escalate a war 
are those who do not want good things for anyone other than themselves in some way. To have the motivation to escalate a war past the understanding of what we're always in, constant warfare, constant disassociation, dissemination, uh, just, just disagreement, constant measuring structures of just creating new vernacular to separate people as much as possible, eye color, skin color, hair color, genetic coding, preferences of Pepsi or Coke, cigarette brand, uh, cigarettes or alcohol or use, um, just sports, sports fans, different teams, states, young brother, little brother, older sister, siblings, age groups, you know, female, male, non-female, binary, cisgender, woke bullshit, all of this is an escalation of war. The more class structures, the more ways we can disseminate each other, the more ways, I'm sorry, not disseminate, disassociate each other, that's an escalation of war. One that can easily be fought with the reducing of that, that war is the anti-war, but anytime that goes into the escalation to a kinetic situation, loss of life, loss of needs and necessities, water, food, shelter. Anytime someone does that escalation or calls for the escalation or warns, like saber rattling, all of that. Look at the escalation and then look at the motivation behind that escalation because that motivation is very important. Typically, it is um, s socially driven by uh, psychopaths who think they're better than everyone else, uh, financially driven due to who's funding who and what. Those who funded the individuals that put them in power share the burden of the escalation of wars. I talked about this in the wrong episode, but if the world goes to nuclear warfare, which is quite possible in today's modern society for some reason, not only are the leaders responsible, the people who funded to put those leaders in power are responsible. The people who voted for those leaders are responsible. The people who allowed for the disassociations, allowed for the the cognitive dissonance of separating and pulling apart the social structures, pulling apart the political structures, pulling apart the social economical structures, the people who allowed for these things, the people who created the technologies that got us there, the people who created the ability for us to have these actions, the people who created social media to allow for uh, the dissection of humanity people who ran the social media platforms, people who are in the media and providing the news and the information, people who are doing the action on the ground, people who are arguing in the bar are all at fault. Top to bottom, every single person, because they are in a state of war. Now, ignorance and willful ignorance is what I'm going to end this on. To be ignorant of something is generally okay. It's okay if you're ignorant totally understandable. No, no one, no one taught you. You're not educated. You're schooled. You're not educated. That's, that's an acceptable reason. Once you become non-ignorant, once you became aware of it, but then chose to be willful ignorant of it, now you're in the wrong. 
now it's time to take course correction. And yes, there is a varying degrees of how serious all of this is, which is why stop taking it so fucking serious. Stop getting so worked up about it. The more you allow that to occur, the more the escalation can occur. War is its anti-war. How do you decrease escalation? Don't let it be as serious as they're trying to make it be. Just be like, whoa, 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 assholes. Talk about nuclear war. Calm the fuck down. What are we really talking about here? Right? What? What? Are we, kinetic war? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm the fuck down. What are, we, what are we really, how do we solve this? Right? Okay. All right. You dumb shits took action. You shot each other. That was the wrong fucking answer. The answer is not to continue doing that. Knock it off. What's, what's really going to, okay. Ceasefire, both sides ceasefire, political injunction, do some research. It could take three years to figure out why it happened. doesn't matter as long as we're not shooting each other anymore. Figure out what happened. But that can't occur because of the factor that we're at war constantly. And so there's escalations everywhere. So that being said, before we ran any further on a long night, how do you use that in your personal life for self-awareness and mental health? Let's finish off with that. That's a really good place to be. And, you know, that's what this podcast is supposed to be about. Find balance. That's how you solve warfare in your yourself. Stop taking things so seriously. Turn off Facebook. Turn off Instagram. Turn off social media. Turn off Twitter. Fuck all that nonsense. Don't, don't even watch the news. That's ridiculous. Learn about yourself. Read the books you don't you want to read. Read the stories that you enjoy reading. Watch the TV shows and you know those things. Just don't take it very seriously. Take you seriously. If you want to escalate, or if you want to de-escalate the social issues, escalate your awareness of yourself. Become the individual because the individual empowers the group. But if there's a war and conflict there, then it's beautiful. If the conflicts, the hostility and the antagonism occurs at the individual unit, you and your friends having a disagreement, not getting into fisticuffs or blows about it, maybe a slightly heated disagreement with some raised voices, that's a beautiful balance. Totally acceptable in the grand scheme of it all. Higher vibrational frequency to have these discussions. Not to simply shut down, storm out of the room, never talk to that person ever again, tell them to go fuck off. Or even worse, hurt someone over something like that to take action against them in conflict or hostility to escalate the situation further. Right? Keep the escalation mellow as well. Do that inside of yourself when it comes to your self-awareness. Do not beat yourself up constantly over shit you didn't have a chance to even be involved with. Just get off the social media platforms. Look back at your life as, you know, like what were the conflicts you had between your siblings or your mother and your father, your family unit, your friends, your teachers? What are the conflicts you had between, you know, just in your education of like a a subject you didn't like because you didn't understand it or you know, reasoning for picking a career path, or maybe it was a a, um, financially driven situation. Like what is all of these, every topic I've ever talked about, you could go back and look at from a perspective of being in war and you would get something different out of it. So I'm really here just to tell you that you are at war. If you are a human listening to this podcast or not a human, even (laughs) From the human perspective, which we're not really great as human. Nope, nope, not going to go off on another tangent. Wrapping this episode up. 
if you are listening to this podcast, I'm here to tell you, without you knowing it from the very beginning, you've been at war. And it's a trait of humanity for us to be at war. Understanding this and looking at things from that understanding will allow you to go much farther in self-awareness, mental health, understanding your depression and then using your depression and to also understand spirituality and to further it if that's what you so choose to do. You are at war. I'm not sorry to have told you this. You are now made aware of the fact that you are at war. Use that. Use that knowledge to your advantage. Use it to bring more balance. I will catch you on the next one. Um, if you want to support the podcast, please check out taminghindrances.com. Head over to the archive and check out some of the resources we have there. Uh, you can also head over to purebulk.com, an amazing supplier of supplements. I'm an affiliate of Pure Bulk. So I'm actually their uh, Northeast regional brick and mortar representation at my, um, my bodywork practice. Uh, they're uh, just a fantastic company. You can get all sorts of great supplements from them. Check out Cliff High's Pure Sleep on my YouTube channel, uh, the Taming Hendricks' YouTube channel. There is a review of Generation 2 uh, formula, which is fantastic. Sleep is a really important thing to be getting good quality sleep over quantity of sleep. And so, you know, you can check that out. Uh, use code Taming Hendricks at checkout or one of the links through uh, the archive to get 10% off your order. I get a small uh, commission on that. But Check out Purebulk. Check out the archive. Uh, leave us a review. Uh, leave me a review on a, your preferred podcast platform or head over to taminghindrances.com slash contact and leave a uh, podcast review there. Really helps out. Uh, share it with your friends. That's one of the best things you can do. You know, word of mouth. Your friends like to hear, you know, things you, you like, you know, and just share that with people. So if you like the podcast, share it with friends. That always helps me out. Uh, what else? Finally, um, if this is new to uh, the last couple episodes, if you would like me to speak in an engagement that you're holding, uh, I'm up for speaking at events. I do have a small background in public speaking. I'd be happy to do that. Uh, just go to taminghendricks.com slash contact and fill out the submission form for um, booking. Um, just tell me about the event you're thinking about doing, You know the topics you'd like me to speak about. I don't always have to be as long-winded as I am. So if you're worried about that, I can shorten it up a bit. Um, but I'm happy to talk about that. Happy to talk on panels, have conversations, uh, happy to be on your podcast. If you have a podcast and you want to reach out to me to be on your podcast, I would also enjoy doing that. That's all I got for you. I'll talk to you on the next one. There's no more outro. Um, this is the outro now. So just remember to breathe and take care. I'll see you next time.